Composer and percussionist Paul Kikuchi created the sound and video installation Autonomic for the 2016 Jack Straw New Media Gallery program. As you walk in the doors of the gallery, probably the first thing that a visitor would notice is it's quite dark in the room. So it's basically a small little black box theater, several rows of benches to come in and sit down on. There's a video projection on the front wall. And these compositions that I've written are playing in a stereo pair of speakers, also oriented to the front. As I started writing these pieces, I immediately started to get a lot of visual information from what I was receiving from hearing the pieces performed. And actually, a lot of the feedback I was getting from audience members was also, they were having these not only visual experiences, but very like tactile experiences of, like several people mentioned that it felt like they were just walking through the woods. And the sounds that they were hearing, there were certain harmonies and synchronicities, but it was like, you know, a bird call over here and kind of a steady rustling of the creek over here and the wind coming up in spurts through the leaves. And, you know, the sounds really got me thinking a lot about the movements of clouds, you know, looking up and seeing these multiple layers of clouds moving on top of one another or looking at movement in water and reflection, all of, you know, the so many different directions happening at once, sometimes looking into into water. So I, I relayed this to uh, James Reeves, who's a videographer, filmmaker, friend of mine, who I've worked with quite a bit in the past. And I also encouraged him to listen to the works and um, start to generate some ideas based on the movement of the music. We started with filming clouds, but in the end, it seemed to be the water movements that seemed to really kind of settle in and feel very congruent with the sounds. And the entire loop of the music is around 28 minutes. The visuals are a little bit longer. So as the piece runs, the visuals never, you know, they, they're always shifting in relation to the music as clouds are shifting overhead or something, you know. If you just come in and spend five to 10 minutes, you're gonna catch whatever part of that visual and audio loop happens to be playing at the time. And that was also pretty intentional, you know, just just like taking a walk in the woods, just like maybe you're gonna hear this bird call today and maybe you're not, you know? <laughs> so the ensemble is oboe, clarinet, bass clarinet, cello, contrabass, and percussion. And the pieces vary pretty widely in approach, you know, ranging from kind of having that experience of walking through the woods and having kind of instruments almost having their own calls to more pieces that have a steady drone throughout, so really kind of rich underlying textures. And then there's also a piece that is maybe the most kind of shows that it was written by a percussionist more than any of them that um, has a steady rhythmic propulsion played on Thai gongs, and uh, that's maybe the most, well, the most rhythmic, certainly, of the pieces.
Paul sat down in the Jack Straw studio with arts writer Omar Willie to talk about Autonomic and how he developed the unique compositional method he used to create the installation's musical soundscape. So, you know, Autonomic is drawn from the autonomic nervous system, which controls a lot of these processes that are not the processes that we are thinking about to continue. So whether it's our breath or, um, you know, our heart beating or, you know. And it was honestly really breath primarily that I was very interested in. You know, looking at a lot of different traditions from around the world, using breath as centering and focusing. And so a lot of my idea or curiosity was to try to bring in breath awareness into the process of playing to explore how that changes the experience of the performers. Your recent music has been very far Eastern, you know, going back to your Japanese roots Mm. in lots of ways. How do you approach the idea of breath and its relationship to sound on the musical level? as a, a metaphor for meditation through music. Mm. Last year, I was living in Kyoto for three months, uh, researching and working on a new piece for traditional Japanese instruments, which was very influential, very totally daunting also. But I've been a huge fan of gagaku, ancient court music, specifically the show, the bamboo reed instrument that it's basically 17 vertical bamboo reeds and the performer plays the instrument by breathing into a mouthpiece that's act- that activates those reeds uh, within each bamboo length. But it's played with in-breath and without breath. So there's this inherent rhythm that emerges in the sound of the instrument that's really just based on the breath cycle of the performers. And so that has been very influential just in in researching gagaku and listening to a lot of the music and just hearing that other way of sound happening through time and you know me as a coming up as a percussionist you know i'm so i'm so steeped in rhythm as in you know i'm i'm trained as a jazz percussionist and just i've spent so many years thinking about quarter notes and eighth notes and 16th notes and on some level i just started feeling so confined by these rigid note values that Western music has devised, I just got so interested in finding different ways basically to navigate time and space. So that research really drew me into thinking more about breath, partly as a compositional device. You know, there's there's really just the pragmatic side of it that's just, okay, well, how does this work as far as creating a time feel? I felt like there was no way to really try it other than just to try it. It's like, okay, well, let's let's try to, to create these pieces and instead of having quarter notes and half notes and eighth notes and quarter note rests and whole note rests, say, here's a rest period and this rest period lasts for five breath cycles and then that rest period is followed by a musical gesture and even though I give some suggestion as to what notes are to be played shorter and what notes are to be played longer, I really leave it open for each performer to phrase as they feel suitable um, in that moment. So the title, Autonomic, 
you bring up the autonomic nervous system, my actual first response to it was from mathematics and mm. autonoma theory. Mm. And in autonoma theory, the premise behind it is that you have a machine or a setup or a structure of some sort that mm. you can put a certain information into and get some information out of it that you did not program into it that's non-trivial. Hmm. And so it strikes me as an interesting metaphor for the way that you're working as a composer. That is very interesting. You know, it, what it makes me think of is just, is of systems in general and of music's history and proclivity to latching onto systems. Hmm. And I feel like on some level that's always been a bit of a struggle of mine as a composer. I mean, honestly, I kind of came into composition from the side door, you know, because I, you know, I'm a rock drummer to begin with and then a jazz drummer and then got into writing music. So, right. you know, I didn't come up as a classically trained musician and then go through a whole classical composition training. But I think that that's been a struggle of mine is trying to figure out what systems do inherently appeal to me as a composer and also how much system is necessary because on many levels I feel like it's the systems that have stifled music over many centuries and on the flip side of that I understand this inherent kind of human desire to have system behind what's being created or as something to fall back on to know that oh well we have the symphonic form so okay, I know what to write next. Sure. Um, <laughs> so I think that's, you know, one of the things that I, over years of being a composer, that I keep coming back to is how much system do I implement or within these systems, how much freedom is in those systems, how much rigidity is in the systems, and then really connected to that, how much ego is in the systems. And... I think that's also part of the exploration with this series of pieces is really searching for that balance of, um, it's like honoring the musicians in a way, honoring them to cultivate a space that they feel comfortable and then to be able to respond to whatever is in front of them in a way that feels natural. And uh, well, and then that's a whole other conversation culturally when you look at Japanese culture and music oh, as opposed yes. to Western music history. You know, just driving over here, I was thinking about Western music history. You know, I was thinking about, well, the church and sacred music and for, you know, how much of Western music's history, essentially, it's been connected to sacred music. It's been connected to this idea that, you know, the composer is this conduit that's channeling some divine force, which then kind of makes this music on the page divine in a way that it's sacrilege to change it. So coming out of that, at least within Western classical music, it's like I think that composers are still really trying to come to terms with what, you know, what is this form we're working with and so on the drive over here, I was really thinking also about, about the development of jazz and about the level of ego that is inherent in that form and how that emerged, you know, because it's interesting to look at jazz because it's such a, it's a shorter development period, you know, um, we're able to 
within, rather than having to look at a thousand plus years, we can look at a hundred, a little over a hundred years. Right. But I really started thinking about African music, West African music, being so community-based very often and based in ceremony and um, ritual. There's a lot more of a collective aspect to it, maybe similar in a way to the to Asian music, where it's about the group. And then I was, you know, I started thinking about African, you know, the African diaspora and the music that came out of the slave trade. Mm-hmm. Jazz is what I know uh, most intimately. But thinking about just that response to having your voice stolen from you. And then the response to having your voice stolen from you once you're given voice again is creating this highly individualistic form where that individual voice is like everything really or maybe not everything i mean there's obviously dialogue a lot of dialogue happening within jazz but the soloist you know the solo i mean there's this very powerful individual narrative that happens in the music so, so to me, it's just like looking at these cultural cosmologies and looking at how the the music that's created represents them is fascinating. You know, Japan, for example, you know, I've been thinking a lot about musical instruments. Takamitsu, the great Japanese composer, he wrote very eloquently about just about some of these differences between East and West in approaches to playing instruments and to coordinating groups of musicians playing together. That's an interesting thing for me to pick up on because your last couple years of pieces, like uh, Bad of No Bird Island and the Oobiri, you actually incorporate Japanese instruments. And in fact, the Oobiri pieces, mostly Japanese right. instruments with the exception right. of the made ones. Yeah. In this new piece, you're dealing with classical Western instruments. And yet right. you seem to have brought the sense of space and the sense of composition from the Japanese gagaku and the the Zen musical meditation tradition also into these Western instruments and a sense of breathing that they haven't necessarily had as their tradition. Mm-hmm. It's been an interesting process developing these pieces in that I've tried them with a number of different instrumentations over the last several years as they've been developing. And one of my biggest curiosities is just like, what creates the musical experience? And in a way, I feel like these pieces have been a laboratory to explore that. One of the first shows I did at the chapel performance space was, it was an early iteration of these works. And it was for a little larger ensemble, it was for an octet with brass. It was brass and strings rather than woodwinds and strings. It's actually very challenging for the brass players because it's so quiet and like these really, you know, trying to almost get no attacks and, you know, the brass players were just like hating me, of course. <laughs> um, so the the pieces had some some pretty significant flaws in performance. But to me what was very interesting was after the show finished, a lot of the audience response that I had was that the music struck them on some other level that they weren't, like the intonation issues weren't something that came up, you know. It was more just like 
people responding to the space that was created and the way that they felt in the space. So that's been a very interesting process, just kind of going through and saying, okay, well, I think as composers and musicians, we focus so much on the right notes and on, you know, on on all of these like highly refined musical elements that obviously, you know, it's no wonder because this is what, this is very challenging and this is why we practice and study for years on end to do what we do. But on some level, I feel like that single-minded drive to perfection of whether it's performance or compositional craft or systemic craft, that we forget that music is sound and sound is this esoteric force of vibrations that we physiologically just respond to, you know? So the ensemble is a sextet, and the group includes Taina Carr on oboe, Ivan Artiega on clarinet, Greg Cinebaldi on bass clarinet, John Teske on contrabass, and Natalie Myhall on cello, and myself on percussion. And in performing these pieces, pretty much every performance so far I've done of these pieces has been at the chapel performance space, but set up in non-traditional formats. So generally I'll have the ensemble surrounding the audience along the perimeter of the room. And so in looking at recording these pieces, I really wanted to find a space that had a similar sort of expansiveness mm. as the chapel to really let the sounds breathe. And so we ended up recording with uh, Scott Colburn at his studio out in Ballard, which is an old converted church. And that ended up being a really great space for the music. We set up in the round and really high ceilings, really great vibe, great light. And so that ended up being a really nice space to record the pieces. And the recording was supported by a grant from Four Culture. And then I actually just kind of, I, they sat on my hard drive for a spell, kind of as I was trying to figure out how to present them. Because it didn't quite feel right to just make an album. There's something about the kind of experiential concept of, of the works that it just didn't feel quite right to say, here's a CD, put it on your player. Right. So when I received the New Media Gallery grant, I was able to think about what to present in the New Media Gallery at Jack Straw. Then I really realized that at least at first that was how I wanted to... Uh, put these pieces out into the world mm -hmm. is to where people can walk into a space and really be like enveloped by the sound and by visuals. Um, so then I did the mixing and mastering here at Jack Straw with Doug Hare, mm -hmm. who I've worked with for many years on many different projects. So one thought drifting back to African music for me, the most salient difference between African music and the court music of Asia and the Western classical tradition is that African music, for the most part, and particularly in the Western African tradition, is never separated away from function. Mm -hmm. So you don't have people who go to a concert hall because concert halls don't exist. Mm -hmm. You only have the dance. Mm 
right. and that's your only place for this particular thing. Or you mm-hmm. go to a particular wedding to hear wedding music. You mm-hmm. know, you go to a, you go to a flirtation ceremony and a mating ceremony to hear that music. Right. And in both the Asian tradition of the court and the Western tradition of classical music, we've separated that out. Mm-hmm. And so it's given us a different way of approaching music as kind of a thing mm-hmm. out there. Right. And to put the African sense of, well, this is a participatory act, mm-hmm. back into the process of music listening, but also music making, seems like that's an excellent direction for you to work in. Right. Certain collectivism that happens. It's very true. I mean, we've confined our music to certain realms for better and for worse, you know? Like, it's really great to go into Benaroya Hall that, that's designed for sound and sit and hear symphony. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. But, you know, like you said, the power that music has to be a connective device or that food has, you know, to be a connective mm-hmm. device to bring people together in mutual experience, that's really powerful and something that I think that we've forgotten. Paul Kikuchi's installation, Autonomic, was created through the Jack Straw New Media Gallery Residency Program. Podcast interviewer is Omar Willey. Produced by Daniel Gunther and Levi Fuller. Jack Straw Executive Director is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Artist Residency Programs are made possible with support from the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, Washington State Arts Commission, National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors.